Welcome to Season 2020, Episode 4. In this episode, we look at Dorna's latest press releases. Manuel walks us through the Spanish domination in the World Championship, and we investigate expats in Spain. This is the Pacino Report. Welcome to the Pacino Report, the official podcast of PacinoGP.com, hosted by me, Dave Gill. We've all made it through another week and it's uh, time to talk all things MotoGP. But before we do that, uh, let's check in with our uh, regular co-hosts. Uh, Stu, you there, mate? Can you hear me? I am indeed, Dave. Dave yes, I'm, uh, I'm doing good, mate. How are you? Not too bad. Let's just get to, you know, jump straight in. Uh, what's caught your attention with MotoGP this week? Well, look, amongst the, um, the, the the plethora of news that's been that's been flooding us this week, I think the one thing that stands out for me is one that's just come out today, today being uh, Good Friday, of course. Happy Easter, everybody. Um, is news that Cal Crutchlow is, uh, is rethinking his retirement plans. I see he's now talking about possibly going on beyond 2020 and uh, wants to start negotiating with other teams. I'm, I'm sure that the uh, the lack of racing... In 2020, couldn't have anything to do with that. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> You've definitely stolen my news because I, I've obviously been <laughs> reading the same as you. Um, but I also see that Zarco hasn't even begun racing for Avintha and is putting the same messaging out. So that's definitely exactly. Something. It's wonderful, isn't it? It was almost copy and paste between Cal and Zarco. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The roundabout starts early this year. That's uh, yeah, that, that's my news. <laughs> something I wanted to bring up with Manuel, but we'll put a pin in that and uh, get to it later because I can see on my screen that there's a there's a lady visibly bouncing up and down in the uh, bottom corner wanting to uh, introduce herself to the audience. So, Andrea, can you hear me? Are you there, mate? Oh, I am eagerly awaiting my turn. Um, I've had a pretty exciting week, actually. I've um, first of all wanted to give a shout out to Carly, who's been giving us some awesome um, comments on the social media, and also Kingy. Um, he's he's a, a friend of a friend who has given me a list of races that I should watch to do a bit of research. So I jumped in and watched the Sepang 2015 race, the oh, one with Rossi and oh, oh. and Mark. Or I. Look I, out! You may as well just. <laughs> but I can tell Don't you, after started, this Andrew. minor, minor couple of weeks, I'm definitely a Rossi fan. I don't care what he did. Yes! It was obviously... <laughs> yep. He's just Mark Marquez is a bit too pretty for me. So, so now I'm going backwards and I'm starting to watch the races before to try and find out what, like, why that happened because it seemed quite out of character for me. Um, so yeah, that's that's the big Moto GP thing for me this week. The other issue I had, I went to the supermarket yesterday. This is not related to this, but I had to share it. You know how you get no the fruit paper. and veg, the the fruit. Oh no, I got toilet paper. I got toilet paper. I nearly cried. Um, the fruit and vegetable va- the fruit and vegetable bags. Have you ever tried to open one of them without licking your fingers? I I asked one of the staff oh. members if he'd lick his fingers and open the bag for me, but he wouldn't do it. Um. <laughs> But I did get to He looked at paper. you like you were just coughing in his face. Well, he said he turned around and he said, you do it. It's your spit. It's okay. And I was like, but I don't know where my fingers have been. <laughs> so anyway. Off, officer. <laughs> <laughs> but go, Rossi. 
Oh, look, on, 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 on that bombshell, I'd just like to, uh, you know, formally advertise that we have a, a new co-host position that's suddenly become available on, the, on this. Andrew and Stu's lines seem to have simultaneously oh, dropped out forever. Man, <laughs> hey, it won't change how I feel. Can you help me out? Can you at least uh, reassure me that there's another sane one in the room? How are you, my friend? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laughing. We're just laughing. And I imagine that it, it is because it's late night or quite late night there in Australia, because if not, I couldn't understand your conversation. <laughs> Oh, it is We're Saturday just all night. insane. No, Everything is upside, upside down. down here. <laughs> I just said it. Look. Oh, dear. So now here we are again on our fourth post po- yes. podcast. And with a lot of things going on, despite the championship is frozen. But it seems that people are started is, uh, to get nervous. As you mentioned, the... Um, Carl Crutchlow comment, Sarko's comment, and there has there has been also some issues inside the Yamaha oh, family. Really? You see, and mm, yeah. I don't know, David, if you want, uh, shall, shall we start straight, or no. do you want to introduce something? Let's let's jump straight into it. The the, the latest news coming out of Dorna, uh, I think it was yesterday. I think would be a great starting point if you if you want to walk us through that. You've had some inside information as well as some information that was um, supposed to be kept private um, for Ducati only, but apparently some of that has leaked out. I'm sure our listeners would um, would love to be able to uh, get some insight into that. We're rubbing our hands yeah. together. Well, uh, let's start with the Ducati. Remember that in a previous podcast, I told you that I was called by some Ducati boss inside his truck? Yes. Because because I have written (laughs) something uh, uncomfortable, let's say. Well, um, yesterday, what happened yesterday? That uh, Gigi Dalinha opened a YouTube conversation with the factory employees, Ducati's factory employees, that are around 250 or something like this, not more than that. And that conversation was supposed to be private. But somebody pushed the wrong button and it started. <laughs> and it was, it was very open. public. <laughs> Until somebody find out and they cut it, but it was too late. Too late. So, too late. So basically... Uh, some uh, TVs recorded that, the whole conversation. And uh, yesterday night, around midnight, they started to receive phone calls from Ducati saying that they wanted to have a conversation this morning with them. <laughs> <laughs> so in, uh, in, in English, Manuel, we have, we have a saying. It's, it's called closing the gate after the horse has bolted. Yeah, more or less. More <laughs> or less. <laughs> so being public, what was said, uh, basically to inform you and our listeners, it was said uh, it's the plan Ducati to face this crisis. They basically, Gigi announced that there will be a cut in the salaries of all the employees, including the riders, that uh, the company has... Um, suspended all the external 
relationship with other companies that are not inside Ducati, so no external uh, uh, commitment with anybody. They have stopped to buy any pieces that are not uh, produced inside the factory. And basically this. And this is uh, somehow linked with what happened in the MSMA meet, uh, meeting happened the day before. Andra, MSMA are the, is the acronym for... Um, you totally read my mind just then. I was going to sit quietly and let him talk. <laughs> Be polite. He'll get to it. <laughs> motorcycle, what? It's basically the association for the um, factories that uh, are in the in the Grand Prix. The Motorcycle um, Sport Manufacturer Association. Oh, the manufacturers? Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, these are six, six manufacturers are in this association that are the three Japanese, Honda, Suzuki, and Yamaha, and the three Europeans, Ducati, KTM, and Aprilia. Okay. So they, they met and they decided to freeze the development of the, of the MotoGP bikes for this year and the next year. Why? Because the Europeans, basically Italy, said that the Japanese were taking advantage of this situation because the European factories were completely closed, all the, the, all the different departments, while the Japanese, they were open and could keep working. So therefore, to make it equal, they suspended all the development in the next so- year. So is that something that will definitely happen or will someone sneakily do it on the side? Yeah, I think that's quite difficult to control, isn't it? Yeah, of course, very of course. to control. But um, regarding the, the situation of Ducati, I have to say that all the European factories are suffering a lot. KTM, for example, through his president, announced that after the crisis, KTM will not be in the condition to keep the investment in racing they have been showing until now. I know also that Aprilia is even in a worse situation because Aprilia is a guru, is part of a big Italian group called Piaggio. You know the ones who sell oh, the Vespas. I I imagine oh, you know Peugeot. No Vespa, Vespa. Uh, Piaggio. Oh, Piaggio. And the same, oh. they are in a crisis, and their CEO wants completely to freeze the investment in racing. So the situation will not be easy. So the question that brings off the page for me, Mamos, how were the Japanese able to continue development where the European factories can't? So why were the Europeans so sensitive on that? What capacity do the Japanese have that the Europeans don't? Yeah, but the the simple situation that they can go physically to the racing departments Ah, it's a different... Does that. And yeah, yeah, and imagine, for example, the Japanese, they are able to uh, take their bikes into the wind tunnels, for example, if they want to work work on aerodynamics, they can test on their private tracks each of these factories has in Japan. So it's a huge advantage, while the others are sitting at home eating pasta and pizza. That was my misunderstanding. I thought Japan was under the same restriction. As, yeah. as Europe, so that makes a lot more sense. I know, look, I know that until, until yesterday, the Japanese were free to go to work. Yesterday, Honda decided to uh, close 
also there are factories, all the factories in Japan, but it's happened just yesterday. So now they are in the same situation. It's only in the last 48 hours, I think, that Japan have declared a state of emergency, similar to most of Western Europe and the United States. Um, so that that probably could have something to do with it as well, that the closures haven't been happening around Japan. Japan hasn't been feeling a lot of the, the pain of of COVID that we can see that, that a lot of the rest of the world has to date. But it's just, I think it's just getting to that point now. But just to play devil's advocate a little bit there, Manuel, if we, in a... In a division that's that's the pinnacle of of motor of two wheeled motorsport, um, is it fair to punish one set of factories for the potential shortcomings of another set of factories? But the the European factories don't have the facilities, they don't have um, you know the wind tunnels and that sort of thing, and that, and the race departments are somewhere else. That's fair enough. But should the Japanese factories be punished? because the European factories have to, have to close down? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think it's, uh, it's the fair play that everyone has the same tools. You know, the situation is so abnormal that um, I think the, that's the fair way to do things. It has no sense that suddenly if, if or when the championship restarts, somebody jumps in with a huge advantage they didn't have before. I think that this isn't fair. And I think it's a it's a good decision. This uh, meeting, the factory meetings, will uh, be a pre-meeting of the meeting Dorna will have to the factories to finally decide what they are going to do. And this, uh, Dave, we can jump into the, our second issue of this introduction. Uh, look, uh, <laughs> I'll go and grab a drink. You just keep on rolling if you want. <laughs> Keep, keep going. I was going to lead sure. into this with this is causing some uh, this is causing some ripples amongst the teams. Uh, I was reading one of your articles today on the, the ramifications um, from COVID. And I, look, I'm getting a little bit of COVID and um, coronavirus fatigue. I propose that we actually give it another name. I'm proposing um, uh, event Baz, or um, how about we call it Stick. Steve is causing yeah. ramifications through the factories. <laughs> Hurricane Bloody Tonya. Steve. Yeah. Is there a Bloody Spanish Steve. name that, that is uh, a, a common name that uh, everyone knows and uh, everyone is uh, happy to hear? What's a good Spanish name that we can use? For Manuel. Oh, no. <laughs> For the... For, instead of saying yeah, coronavirus. Of saying coronavirus. Like a Bob or a John or a... Yeah, what's a, what's a common name? My name Hello. is Pepe. Pepe. P-E-P-E. Pepe. 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 <laughs> Pepe is giving me the... <laughs> so getting back on track, uh, event Pepe is obviously causing some uh, some ripples, some, some effect through the factories. And I said, as Stu's seen, and as you've obviously um, sort of looked into the future with some of your articles... Um, on PacinoGP.com, the the riders uh, are starting to get a little restless. Yes, and look, uh, we have been in in uh, lock, lockdown for how much? Four, five, six weeks already. So you know, it's start it's starting to people are starting to get nervous because it looks like that we will have to be another three or four weeks. So the the thing is starting to get tough, and 
the riders are starting to get nervous. The factory, I just told you, they are seeing a really big, huge crisis in front. So uh, what uh, Zarko, what you just mentioned about Zarko, starting to thinking or, sh- or sending out the message that he might change when he hasn't even... He hasn't even raced uh, yet. <laughs> <laughs> and Carl, the same. And in, and in Yamaha, look what happened in Yamaha. The, the actual... Uh, manager of the Petronas team where Quartararo is supposed to race with said that if the championship is not going to happen Quartararo should race for him in 2021 ignoring the contract he has signed with the factory for with the factory for Yamaha for the same season so exactly. immediately uh, Yamaha factory came out with an announcement saying that the, the contract with Quartararo will be fulfilled in any circumstances, you, you know? Mm. So it's... It's all starting to get a bit angry, Yes, yes. Everybody's starting to get, to get a little bit nervous wow. with this situation. So, and for, for Andra, for, for, for your background, um, Quartararo is very much the up-and-coming next sort of new young guy. Like, that, all the research everyone's... I've been doing have been years back, so I don't, I'm not familiar with these names. Yeah, and then he's... Someone needs to bring out a new movie. And he's far too young for, for awakening your interest uh, in him. <laughs> is, he 50, is he 15? <laughs> he's, he's, he's over 16. He's fair game. Oh, fine. <laughs> what is it? But is no, it he's, half your um, age he's very quickly come up from... Yeah, half plus seven. That's it. Yeah. Oh. He's very quickly come up from, from Moto2 and, and he's good, yeah. He actually doesn't mind walking around the grid um, with his leathers off. Like he, he's he's a bit prone to that. Hang on, wait, 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 wait. He How goes, do you spell he his goes name? <laughs> How do you spell it? Spell it. Spell Quartararo. Quart- you what? Eight, seven. We're doing, a, we're doing a live. This is for everyone at home. We expect you to be doing the same. This I seriously have no idea. How do you spell it? Is it? Does it start with a Q? Q U A T Q U A T A R R O Quartararo. Right. I've got Quattro insurance. I don't think that's him. <laughs> oh my goodness! You keep talking. I'll, I'll work it out. Well, then let's go quickly to the situation of the championship, right? Let's because we have talked, uh, we have spoken about how the situation with the team, but the championship at the end, there have been some really uh, worrying news. Uh, in the last days, you know, you know, yeah, I th- Dorna, yeah, yeah. In, the, in, in previous podcast, we spoke about uh, Dorna wanting first to complete the whole championship with 20 races, putting them all in the back in the last month of the season. Then this speech went to, uh, we want to do 13 races. That is the minimum that the International Federation demands for um giving the title of a championship. Let's say, what, five days ago, this 13 went down to 10. Uh, Dorna said that with 10 races, it was enough. And what's the, what's the normal amount? The normal, the, the calendar was 20 races. Oh, okay. crikey. Yeah. Mm. And uh, to, to, to do have the official um, championship considered you have to do at least 13 okay so if they do if they do a shorter amount and someone wins is that a bit of a would it be considered I don't know. Race? how does 
don't know. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll talk about happen. that when and if it happens. No, but the special mm. circumstances has made that the federation accepts any any mm-hmm. cut. So they talked yeah, about yeah. ten. Now, uh, if they do eight or they do six, it will be enough. But forty-eight hours falling, 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 <laughs> falling. But forty. We're going to have to join it on to next year. They might have to just do a few races and then join it on to twenty twenty-one. Well, that's an idea. Probably they will come out with that as well. I'll, I'll email them. I'll let them know. Good idea. No, but let, let me finish. Let me finish. Because 48 year, uh, hours ago, the, the CEO of Dorna started to say that there was a big chance the championship not happen at all. And, yeah. and obviously this was like a shock for everybody. And it was mm. a big uh, communication strategy mistake because immediately Dorna, the organizer, had to come out with an uh, official statement saying that their priority was still uh, try to make the championship. Why? The reason is very simple. And this here we use this famous American uh, sentence called follow the money. Okay? The reason is... That's it. It's all about the it's, If you follow the money probably you will get the answer of everything. So, which is, in this case, which is the problem? The problem is, if Torna keeps announcing or saying that there will be a chance of not having the championship, all the sponsors' contracts, all the sponsors will immediately cancel their contracts because they say, there is no race, I don't pay. There is no valid, the, the contract, okay? While, if they keep pushing backwards, the contracts are still open. So if, if this, say, worst case scenario and there isn't any races this year, uh, is everyone going to be able to come back as normal next year or there's going to obviously going to be a big flow on from no money for a year? Yeah, that, that, that's it. Is it going to ruin anybody? Yeah, or? most of them. And in fact, they are being actually sustained by the organiser who pays every month a certain amount for the teams mm-hmm. be capable to pay their salaries to their employees. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it'll be too long, though, until we start to see, especially privateer teams, the independent teams, start to fall by the wayside if this continues for another six or eight weeks, realistically. Yeah, well, this is... Which is realistic. Yeah, no, yes, because now now the theory, the the most positive thinkers are talking about the start around August. That would be, if it happened, would be fantastic. You know, August, there is still a lot of time. And another thing that will be very, I think we have spoken about the championship could be basically a European championship because of the costs, right? But Europe is actually nothing close to a community. Every every country has its yeah. own rules. Mm. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example... And ironically, it's it's very much the epicenter of what's going on at the moment. So it's going to be one of the last places to really properly recover from. Yeah, what's but going the, on as well. this so-called union union doesn't exist because look, the Austrians, for example, they are they ban completely any entrance of Italians in their countries. They don't let even the trucks cross their countries. So, and this wow. is here we are twenty-seven different countries, and each is. Uh, managing the situation by its own way. Okay, but this is these are politics. <laughs> but look, if if Italy 
Spain and France more or less have the same way to handle this, the championship can happen. Because between Italy, Spain and France, you can organize easy eight Grand Prix. So there's another way of looking at this, Manuel. If, okay, you, you can probably get you know, eight within sort of France, Italy, Spain. Let's just for a couple of minutes do the, the fantasy league of 10 races outside of Europe that you're going to base. So obviously, Phillip Island is one of them. Obviously, you can get one into Sepang. Do you bring Shah Alam back in Malaysia? Do you bring... Um, so we've got Motegi. Um, what other Japanese circuits? Do we bring Kyle Army back? Do we do we bring a one-off for South <laughs> no. Africa? What's what what's what's the what's the Manuel Fantasy League for if we have to do it around the world? The, the cheap global GP around the world. Yes. I would do probably eight races in Brazil. <laughs> back to back to back to back. Yeah. Sundays, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Then six days off. <laughs> Then another yeah, three. Because, because uh, oh. listen, it's just because the weather there is guaranteed. It's not because another reason. And, look, and, and Westy's, Westy's over there at the moment anyway. He's ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but uh, look, uh, talking uh, serious, I think overseas we have spoken. It's, it's too expensive. They have to uh, do it as uh, economically as, as possible. And look, Dave, I taking what you say like my favorite track to have ten races around the world. Yeah. But of course, number one, of course, would be Philip Island. This oh, is, you're too kind. Stop it. This is this is like uh, stop it. Number two, I would go also to Eastern Creek, which I I don't. I, I think the track isn't uh, nothing special because it's quite a simple track, but the place and being close to Sydney is not a bad choice. Then from there, can I just ask? Yes, have, I watched that one Phillip Island race, and I haven't been there yet, but I'm planning to go this year, or if not next year. Do they always hit seagulls? I can't remember who it was. Was it someone hit a seagull, and that just splattered across the track? Does that happen all the time? All the time, not, but uh, sometimes it's not uh, rare it to happen. Yeah, oh, because <laughs> no, but. There is a lot the of seagulls. seagulls they imagine they are used to see cars arriving at a hundred k per hour. It's suddenly oh, they think they're coming down to pick up hot chips or something. They don't realize they're going to get hit by a motorbike. They come down at three hundred per hour, so they don't realize yeah. what how it works. Yeah, who was it? Headbutted one into is it Lukey or something yeah. a couple of years ago? Serious? Oh, gave it a gave it a really good what for? Yeah, was it Petrucci? No, no, I think I think, I think it, it was Yanone. Uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, he leaned into it and everything. Whack, it was, <gasps> it was hilarious. So, could so be worse, could be a talking pelican. about, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so talking about as as you say, you know, a, a super series, and you could you could do that easily between Spain and France. Um, I suppose it segues us across into into the next subject we wanted to talk about: the amount of really good racetracks and really good riders around, you know, Spain and France. But I wanted because you're obviously in Spain. We want to talk especially about what's going on in Spain at the moment. How many GP-ready tracks are there that you know of in Spain at the moment? Well, officially, we we have four races. We host four races, as you know. Then mm-hmm. 
And how many other well, tracks yeah. would there be that, that would be suit that would be suitable for a for a good race? Yes, remember that there was one race, one track in Madrid. We had races here called Jarama. It's an old uh, track. Yep. Uh, in Spain, mm-hmm. actually, we could uh, there are around twenty or twenty something tracks in the whole country. That's a lot. Uh, super That's tracks, lot. we can say five. Yeah. Around 10. 10 that could easily host a, a Grand Prix. 10 tracks, yeah. 10 that's, races. That's, that's sounds pretty... No, but it, it won't happen because so... these tracks have to be <laughs> homologated. Okay, exactly. so the, to right. race there, the Federation has to go there to check. But there are mm. many others okay. because we have had, uh, there is a track in, on a city called Albacete where superbikes used to race. Albacete was a great track. So there are, there, yeah. there are a lot. Spain, look, motorcycling was in Spain uh, the second most followed sport after football. Mm. Yep, that's right. So... That, so that that lead that leads us into the into the topic. So there's, there's clearly dominance from the from the Spanish riders around MotoGP and, and less so in in World Superbikes as well. Why are there so many good Spanish riders? Why is motorcycle riding the number two sport in the country? I mean, yes, we can say they have good weather all the time, but a lot of countries have good weather as well. So. What's what's the secret in 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 Spain that, that makes it look so some good? some weeks ago I wrote an article on Pesino GP called "Where are the ones who invented this?" Meaning this uh, motorcycle racing, and the ones who invented motorcycle racing were basically the English, the Brits. Yeah, the, and the British, and the weather in Britain is not that good. that race is still going it's yeah like they clicked over a hundred years so that and they're still going look they they call it superbike island for a reason the the set 14 out of the 17 first uh world titles in the major class were won by the brits but uh their last champion um was in 1977, Barry Sheen, you know him, probably. Adra, Barry Sheen was another Valentino Rossi. If you check on the website, he had an incredible success in this area. He was, and he, he went yep. to live in Australia, by the way. He was in Australia, yeah. Andrew, do you remember in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a crazy English... <laughs> oh, I was way too young. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, Jacob, please continue. Um, <laughs> crazy English motorsports commentator on Channel 10 and he used to do a thing with Dick Johnson all the time. Uh, that no. was Barry Sheen. I grew up in that, Sedona nope, and nope. we had ABC. That was it. <laughs> right. He did some very sh- very famous <laughs> Shell commercials with, uh, with Dick Well, Johnson. going back. So the, the okay. Brits were the one, the first who dominated this stuff. Okay, then uh, came the Americans. Uh, the Americans took over the dominance. After the Americans came who? The Australians, with Wayne Gardner, with Mick Doohan, with all these long, uh, Kevin McGee, and, and, and a lot of them. After the, the, the Aussies came the Italians. And after the Italians came the Spaniards. Okay, so it's a kind of cycles, you know? And all, uh, in Spain, it's very, very clear 
why we started to dominate this story. And it starts with the TV. You know, the, the most, what has started everything was the TV. The TV started to show live every Sunday the races at a very interesting uh, time. It was exactly when we in Spain sit to have the, the midday meal. Prime time. Before you have your sleep, yeah. right? <laughs> so, and then you go to sleep and dream about so, motorbikes and then that was it. What Off happened that all the families, my mother, my grandmother, they knew who was who were the different riders because they we just sat at the table with the TV on and just, you know, hearing constantly. This made the sport very popular. Being very popular, what happened? It attracted the sponsors. And there is another very super That's important it. key factor is that some of our champions were uh, good-looking guys, guys that came from the university, you know, guys that when you heard them speaking, they were they had something to say. This mm-hmm. so they were good-looking, eloquent, yeah. educated guys, as a, as opposed to the animals exactly. of the seventies and eighties, like the Aussies. <laughs> In fact. In fact, our our one of our big world champions that is Sito Pons, he was an architect. You know, so he uh, and this pushed up the level of the sport, and then immediately the big sponsors started to come. In in no other country in the world you can see the two biggest companies in the country sponsoring teams: Repsol, Repsol uh, Movistar, and then even banks started to sponsor uh, teams, you know? And then when the money arrives, then every, every, everything, the sport gets popular. The, the image of the sport are nice people, handsome people. This attracts young people, so, you know? And then it mm-hmm. gets into the one, the second most popular sport. So were there a couple of riders that just stood out and absolutely kicked butt, or is it more the overall like you say, the media hype of it that got everyone into it? Or was there Yo, someone the, that... We had not that ma- that many champions. The champions came later. So it was <laughs> the champion came with the popula- popularity of sport. Okay. With the sponsor, what came with the sponsor? The money. So mm-hmm. with the money, what came? The chance to build circuits. Big, nice circuits. And what happened? Look, one thing I always explain is that we have a super important factor that most, I think, nobody in the world has. Our circuits are so safe. Safety is the issue number one. That our young kids are used to race without thinking in safety. You know, they always, since they are very young, they they go full. This is a good point. I was I was going to sort of push this one a bit later but it's a good chance now obviously the money is coming towards the is starting to roll in towards the top end of the racing is it what were the knock-on effects to the junior level so how was spain beginning to develop uh, its younger riders what programs were put in place was that money filtering down to that level were the uh, were the juniors being attracted and funded at, at an equal level Yes, it's it's another it's it's the other path because you have the money, you have uh, important and 
recognized sportsmen, and this wakes up the curiosity and the interest of the kids, of the young people. Having young people, the big companies, they start to do, uh, how do you say, introduction cups. Okay, the same sponsor that were sponsoring the super high level riders, they start to organize um, cups for the young kids. We had the Movistar cups, we have this mm. and this. So at the end, you can't imagine how many races and how many different categories we have. And here in Spain, I think Australia is more or less the same in this. The kids starts to race being six, seven years old. We saw this with uh, Vinales, with Rins. They have started when they were nine, ten years old. And and there is a big support behind. And look, for uh, the, the parents that a, a son asks them, I want to practice motorcycling, it's not a tragedy. <laughs> Well, especially if it's a safer, safer environment, the mothers are going to be more open to, I think we've mentioned that before, it's the dads that generally push because you're not going to have a mum going, yeah, get out. I mean, obviously there's some and they are supportive, but knowing it's safer. Yeah, because look, a motorcycle isn't a safe sport. This has to be said. Our sport Mm. is, has a, a, how do you say, a part of danger that is intrinsic or it's inside the sport, Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's inherently dangerous, that's right. When you have uh, uh, tracks without walls, when you have uh, tracks that nobody can see not having an ambulance there, you know, it's so well organized. So, and the kids, they don't have to think, uh, look, if you see the races that of Moto America, for example, that you can see live on YouTube, the tracks are so scary, bumpy with walls on the side because they are built for car racing. Yes. And we covered yeah. that I think in the last, you know, in the last episode um of our podcast was about that that state of mind where yeah, if you've got all those things to worry about that changes the whole game absolutely. How much did things change in Spain? You obviously had uh, Cito Pons as a as a champion in his own right, but how did things change with the arrival of um of Alex Creville? Uh, onto the onto the scene was yeah. Alex Crivil was the big explosion, you know, yeah. the big explosion, and then came Danny Pedrosa, who who did announce how to say advertising on TV with how do you say what you put in the milk co- cocoa, no? Yeah, yeah, yes, cocoa, yeah. yeah. So Milo, yeah. Milo, <laughs> I'm, I'm, pretty, yeah. I'm pretty sure that yeah. Milo like, ads, yeah, with a slice of toast and veggie. So, this is side. an example. They the the, the motorcycle uh, racer were used to do this kind of stuff. Lorenzo was a little less elegant because for a while he was advertising ketchup. So, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to look and, that up. I and mayonnaise, you know, that was really. Uh, <laughs> Oh, wow. Lorenzo Spray. Vinales has been used by, I don't know if McDonald's or Burger King, as an image as well here in Spain. So at the end, we are, motorcycle racer, are trendy, you know? There there seems to be much more of a social acceptability uh, in Spain than, you know, sort of elsewhere in the world. I mean, in Australia, if you said you were a professional motorcycle athlete, I I can only imagine the results you would get. And uh, there'd be more than one mother out there that would be quietly moving their children away from you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, (laughs) probably you, you have been in Britain. In Britain, there are pubs where you can read at the, at the door, 
bikers not allowed. Yes, exactly. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know but yeah. in yeah. Spain, the bikers are well seen. We are not uh, dirty. We are not uh, outlaws. We are just a part of them. And even maybe with some uh, being uh, cool. All right, I'm grabbing my passport. I'm already feeling it's overdue for for, for a visit to Spain. So, hey, I was yeah, already thinking about that today yeah. when Manuel's ex- explaining the siestas and how often they eat and the things they do. I'm, I'm in. I'm I'm packing my bags. <laughs> you had me at siesta. <laughs> <laughs> but Andra, what I, um, do you I expect? Listen... We are how many cases from each other? 15,000 Ks, 12,000? I know, but it's just, I have left, I've left Australia while I was in my time in the Navy, but other than that, I haven't traveled overseas a lot. So I really do struggle with that cultural change. It is a really, you know, I'm in my little Aussie bubble here, but we were talking about it. Yeah. About today. I actually, I listened to your interview um, with Jack Miller, which he raised some really good points about when he came to Spain and just about the, was it he got invited to dinner and they said, what time you know, what time shall I turn up? And they said nine o'clock. He's like, I'm already in bed by then. I, I can't even comprehend. Uh, let, let, yeah, let me tell awesome you an anecdote I had in Phillip Island last year or before last year. No, two years ago, I phoned to a restaurant to make a reservation for dinner. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> I can yeah, see where yeah. this is so, going already. Uh, we were yep. supposed to eat early, so I phoned to her and I said, look, we want to book. I don't know if you are open. We want to book at 8.30. She says, really? she said, 8.30, we are closed. And I said, okay, then 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, I, you know, what That's happened? Silent area. on the other side of the phone. And, I, and she said, like, and she said, real? kitchen closes at eight. <laughs> oh, that's now I got you. <laughs> that's brilliant. You hit a really good point with uh, the Jack Miller interview, and it's something I wanted to sort of dig into a bit deeper. This whole um, everyone falling in on Spain and sort of maximizing on what Spain has to offer. It just wasn't the Spanish, if I understand correctly, that uh, have picked up on you know, Spain being sort of the epicenter for, for MotoGP. Uh, sort of was the late 70s. Especially feeder series as well. Like with, with, late with 70s. The series, if, yeah. if, I'm, if my memory is correct, we started to seeing the Americans come over and starting to base themselves out of Spain. Is that correct? Yes, the Americans, look, when they first arrived, they used to travel back and forwards after each race, you know, the Americans. But then they realized that it was quite crazy because of the jet lags. So they start, they look for a base, an European base, and they choose, they chose uh, Spain. And it's, uh, why Spain? Because... Basically, because uh, the weather is very similar to California. I was going to say, most of those guys come from California. so Yeah, and the weather is very similar. They have the sea. And the life in Spain is very easy. I have to say this. For us, living is very easy. You know, the, the people are very open. You can do whatever you want. People don't uh, interfere in your life. So they started, and basically they set up the, their base south of Barcelona. But there they were, the Americans, the Japanese, everywhere. Everyone was, was there. And even Jack Miller, when he came, 
he he got he was uh, installed in also in Tarragona, that is seventy k south from Barcelona, on the coast, on the good weather where you can train out. You know, during between the races, you can uh, train outdoors, you can ride bicycle, whatever. So this was the base of the of the Americans, but. I have you. I have some fantastic stories to that about the the Americans. You know, some of them were really rednecks. Okay, we won't mention names. We won't mention names. <laughs> hey, I'm happy you're just not picking on the Australians for a change. Look, for once it. I went to visit one of them, a dynasty, a dynasty that uh, the father was a champion and then the son. So, oh, so you're not giving away much. <laughs> I saw things like David I, they for me they did things that for me was what are they doing you look they entered with their scooter inside the house and parked besides the TV and the scooter was there <laughs> <laughs> and they were sitting around and, and one of them told me look look let me show you something. And he took him, uh, took me to his room. And then he he opened, um, how do you say, a cupboard? A cupboard, mm-hmm. no? Yeah. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. he was very proud. Yeah. Look what I have. He opened the cupboard and saw inside a washing machine and a drying machine. Inside the bedroom. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and he said, I did it uh, by myself. Because what I do is at night when I go to bed, I take off my clothes, I put it in the washing machine, and go to and, wow. and in the morning. So for me, it was like, oh, his mom would be so proud. Where do they come from? Where do they come oh, from? Oh wow! <laughs> Trailer trash. But they obviously, no, not, not they, really. they obviously. <laughs> oh, there's going to be. I was going to say you're asking for trouble. We can it's nice knowing you. <laughs> That's Stuart McGraw one at hotmail.com. <laughs> you can answer those ones. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let my wife answer those ones. <laughs> they obviously saw something. It was obviously very, very let's try and recover this. <laughs> the, the, they obviously saw something that was very, very successful, very appealing uh, to them. And it said it was the, the that, that first wave of the Americans coming on to Spanish shores. They were obviously successful. And you said the Japanese are up. Who were some of the first Japanese? That that was something that I'd forgotten. Yeah, Norik Abe was there. You know Norik? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Abe, he's, he lived in the same community that the other Americans. So imagine... You know the Japanese how they are. Imagine Absolutely. the Japanese living yeah. together with yeah. these uh, strange uh, Martians came from America. It was so, <laughs> and I tell you something more. Now the one who the, the one who lives now there in the same uh, neighborhood is Wayne Gardner. Yes, yeah. He, he has been living there for <laughs> right, a while course, already yes. because it's a fantastic place. The weather is so good, you know, and the sea and so easy, and it's basically. 30 minutes drive from the Barcelona airport. So when they have to move Europe, it's very easy for them and very comfortable. So who would, um, I mean, rattle some names off. Who would currently base themselves out of that part of Spain for, for our listeners? Who, when they're seeing, you know, the names and the, and the faces on the screen, 
associate look the names the whole uh Roberts tree tree no uh, right. there was yeah. Trope. yeah Kenny Roberts was there Wayne Rainey was there Randy Mamola was there uh Norik Awe was there Kenny Roberts Jr was there the other uh, Curtis Roberts you know they were all yeah. there together uh, Wayne arrived also there Wayne Gardner I mean so did, lots of them. did the did the just roll through uh, into history. Did the Doans pick up on that? Did uh, did our did the mighty Mick spend any time in Spain? No, I think I think Mick was he he was based in Monaco, wasn't he? Okay, yeah, that rings a bell. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's a, and Casey, he's a Casey, Casey, Casey. I think he went to live in Switzerland. He was for even for that he was strange. <laughs> <laughs> Was that somewhere to go fishing? But look, you... <laughs> yeah, it obviously worked for him. Man climbing. But we've got we've got Jack in there at the moment. Yeah. Uh, are there any non-Spaniards that are basing themselves out of Spain? No, they all they all move now to Andorra. You know Andorra, the country in the Pyrenees, uh, a small country. In the... Taxi. Look out uh, there. Out of the twenty-two MotoGP riders, actually, there are only probably four that don't live in Andorra. Officially, these four, yeah, no, this four is Mark Marquez, who still lives in his uh, village, Andrea Dovizioso, who is another one who still lives in his village, Valentino Rossi, who lives in his village after having lived in lived with in between how do you say in in, in London. Yeah. In, inverted commas. In London, <laughs> and then the other one who, whose father is immensely rich and he doesn't need. To, he doesn't care to pay taxes. That is Tito <laughs> Rabat. Tito Rabat. He doesn't need the tax break. <laughs> yeah. The guy who didn't buy himself Look, a Look, I tell you, regarding taxes, you know that Valentino Rossi has been the person who has paid more, the highest fi- yes. fine in the history of Italian yes. taxes. Oh, this is a story I want to hear. Guys, I'm just going to mute you. This is, this is all Manuel. Go for it, my friend. Yeah, yeah, go. <laughs> he paid twenty-two million. Twenty-two because million. he was supposed to live in London, but he lived exactly. in his village. So it was a huge story in Italy, a huge story. At the end, he paid, and now he lives because there is a saying that I think you will share with me: if you make, how do you say in English? If you make. That much money that you can't live where you want. Exactly. It's not worth. Can you say it in Spanish? I want to yeah, hear you exactly. say it in Spanish. Spanish. Go. Si ganas tanto dinero para no poder vivir donde quieres, no vale la pena. Oh, that sounded pretty sweet. So, Andrew so just ovulated. Uh, <laughs> ovulated. Yes. <laughs> well, with women all over the world just ovulating. So that, that's and, and look another another um, uh, funny or curious point of this: two riders who do, who live where they were born, and after each race they go to the place with their friends, finish the last championship first and second. Marcus still lives where he was grown up. Dovizioso never left his hometown. Never. You know, the riders need after this, during a weekend, 
their adrenaline and they are they are so stressed and they, they go so up and high. So when they go out, they need uh, to boost down. You know what I mean? And if you are surrounded by those who which you you went to school, the same, uh, I don't know, you go to the same shop that you went with your parents, it's another way. It's like a security blanket, yeah. And people aren't exactly. going to be freaking out going, oh my God, it's them because they, they've grown up with them mm-hmm. and known them, yeah. So... If I'm hearing you correctly, you know, there's been big emphasis on psychologists and on diet and on food is because what I'm hearing is that one of the missing factors that the rest of the field could be missing is family. Is that correct? Like if, if family is strong enough, it could be that, that, that small edge that um, is required to get well, to that it, level. It's interesting because uh, the family is a plus a rider gets. This is clear. You know, and especially us Latinos, you know how much we are linked to our families. You know, uh, uh, very. very different no, different I mean, values. no. In a, in a, in America, yeah. when a, a kid finishes high school, he disappears from home and never returns. No, basically, I don't know how it works in in Australia. Yeah. No, they never bloody leave <laughs> home here. <laughs> <laughs> especially the boys here here in spain here in spain you are cl- close to your family or your life for the good and for the bad for the good and for That's the beautiful. bad yeah exactly it's, obvi- exactly. it's obviously working the, the one question that now jumps out at me is that we've, we've spoken about the current riders what about the ne- the next generation coming through is it uh, the moto 2 and the moto 3s basing themselves out of spain and andorra or are they are they finding new places and creating uh, new environments look dorna them? is doing a very good job because dorna there is a, a world championship like the actual one where 10 10 riders out of 22 are Spaniards and another six out of 22 are Italians. Doesn't look like a world championship. You know, you need riders from everywhere to create interest everywhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it, that isn't easy because at the end, what counts is how fast you go. Okay. <laughs> you cannot put an, a guy from Samoa on a bike because he's from Samoa. He has to be fast. And if you put them all together in the track, the result is that there are 10 Spaniards who are fast, six Italian, and then some others. So this this needs a process to be changed. And Dorna is working very well because they are creating different uh, uh, runner-up, no, uh, develop cups. You know, we have the Asian Talent Cup. We have the British Talent Cup. We have now the Northern European Talent Cup. So they are creating young rider but this process takes i would say 10 years yeah exactly some of the some of the thai and malaysian ones that i've seen are fantastic yeah but look these these uh, cups are organized around the world to make the process cheaper because the thai the malays they they keep in their zone but then the best of them have to come to spain where the level is high yeah. So these come to Spain and participate in the in our national championship, and from there is the jump into the world championship. Yeah. Here the level is very high because I what I told you because of the circuits because of the so they are starting to build a net around the world and then 
the best of this net come to Spain to finish their education, motorcycle education. Yeah, so they, realistically, so, they want to get those guys as early as possible, don't they? What, what, at what age do they ultimately want those, those offshore, those foreign riders to come in? Look, if here uh, the Spanish championship, that is the reference for the, the riders are around uh, 13, 14, 15. So this makes difficult, the, the situation is difficult because the, the parents of an Indonesian guy or Malaysian guy, mm-hmm. they have to be ready to send their son or their girl, exactly. their daughter, yeah. with 12 years or 13 years to Europe and... To the other side of the world, leave. normally by themselves yeah. as well, and they have to trust it, they have to have the funds to do it because it's not completely funded by by Dorna or whoever whoever the, the league is. That's right, yeah. So it's a very difficult thing to do. Dave. Spain's obviously you know, well advanced into this development cycle. Manuel, what other countries do you see that are putting this level of commitment into generating new riders or is it are we simply relying upon Spain to develop uh, the next one and two generations? The Italians are working very well now. Again, there was a moment where when your Adra, your Valentino Rossi was reigning, he didn't allow anybody to get close or... He didn't let the grass grow around him. Mm. Now he, he himself has created an organization that helps riders to come. The VR46 Italian, Academy, yeah. Yeah, uh, the Italians are working well. And it seems that in Asia, with the help of Honda, they are also working very hard. Honda, uh, you know that the biggest motorcycle markets in the world are in this moment Indonesia. Yeah and Thailand. Mm-hmm. So for the Japanese factories, it's very important to have riders from these countries in the championship. Yeah. And they're starting that. We're seeing a, an Indonesian uh, Grand Prix uh, for Lombok uh, for 2021. Um, is there more races scheduled for Japan or is that something that's no, being No, ja- Japan or? is considered another story. It's not included in the Asian profile, you know. Asia for them yeah. is Vietnam, Thailand, markets where they can sell Southeast Asia, not Northeast Asia. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And just let me point you something funny. I spoke with a very high Honda representative about this process. And he said, he told me that they they clash against a problem that is a cultural problem. They say, look, these Malaysian guys or these, uh, when they see that they can make, with all respect, okay, three hundred dollars per year, per month or mm-hmm. six hundred, for them is good enough. They don't have the spirit mm-hmm. of sacrificing. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So if you have to tell a kid, oh, you have to go to Spain and be alone for one year, he say, no, no, no. Why? I make here six hundred. For me, it's enough. Yeah. They have. They don't have this um, wish to get world champion. Mm. Is, is hunger the right word? Yes. Sac- sacrifice uh, attitude. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that internal hunger for, uh, yeah. for, for wanting, driving them. And this is something that you've uh, touched upon, Andrew, the different personality types that you, even, you know, we're, we're two weeks into your MotoGP journey and, and you can already start to see the, the, the personality differences. So it's something that we've got scheduled to talk uh, a lot more about, but we're obviously starting to see some consistent themes uh, starting to come out, you know, even at a, at, a, at a country and 
and a state level. So, Manuel, thank you so much. Another fascinating uh, insight into a side of the sport that uh, very, very few of us uh, would get to see. And it's, it's, on your, uh, it's on your back doorstep. So we'll be regularly checking in uh, to see uh, who and who isn't uh, competing with each other in the supermarkets of Andorra. I have this picture in my head of all, of, of all 18 in the supermarket charging, uh, charging around, wanting, wanting pole position at the groceries. Pushing the trolleys. <laughs> I'm um, talking about competing. Am I correct that there's another virtual MotoGP race That was going to be happening? my sign-off. That's right. Yeah, there is this Sunday night. There is. <clears throat> yeah, oh, that's sorry. Right. Yep, this this Sunday night. Sorry. Second. In I was just leading into it for you, Stu. Thank you, Andrew, for the segue. It's a very it's a it's a very interesting lineup, Stu. Would you like to run us through that? It is indeed. So um, we've got well, we've got the full Repsol Honda team, Mark and uh, and Alex. We've got. Um, Danilo Petrucci for Ducati, uh, and interestingly, Michelle Piero's riding for Ducati as well. So we don't have uh, Dovi riding for Ducati. Uh, we've got Rossi and uh, Maverick for for Monster Energy Yamaha. Uh, Petronas, we've got um, Quattararo, Pramac, uh, Pecos racing for them. Uh, Tackers on the uh, the LCR Honda. And um, good old Tito Rabetz there for Real Adventure. It was Andrew who sent me a message through on um, on the group <laughs> chat this afternoon. He obviously stumbled upon. Uh, I don't even know how. Like I was just googling, so I just sent a photo to Dave, and <laughs> I was like, "Who's this cutie?" <laughs> no, we Taka's yes. okay, but we're more interested in Taka's sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. He's one of the most wonderful, wonderful human beings on the yeah. face of the earth. I've run into her a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a beautiful, beautiful person. Um, she's tolerated. She's tolerated this Australian yep. who just runs up to her and wants random photos. Adra, Adra, this is very, very kind. <laughs> I was so happy last year. They, they are melting. They are melting. Oh yeah. At, at the island last year, and I, I got the um, I got I got the full trifecta. I got I got Taka, Taka's sister, and Lucio Cecinello. I got yeah, I got photos of all of them. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. we're gonna have to share some of these photos. I think that we have to change the intro music with some violins. <laughs> I think so. It's romantic. <laughs> we can do a hot or not for Taka's sister. She's a hot. <laughs> Perfect. So, are you kicking us off, yeah. Dave? Is that have we finished? Are we done for another week? That's it. We're gonna to have to wind this one down. We've got a hot, we've got a hot or not yes for uh, Takanakagami, so we haven't got a bad one yet. So do you know the, what? The, uh, I'm starting to think this up. is going to be a challenge. You're going to have to find <laughs> find someone who looks like the back end of a donkey. Do we do we, do we put Tito <laughs> Rabat? I think you're going to have to. Yeah. If anybody out there has a vote, hey, I've been married for like ugly MotoGP rider, present or yeah. past, please let us know. Jump on the ground. Let us know. Gina. Yeah, send me a picture. Send me a picture. Uh, Andra, Andra, I, I, I'm not going to tell you the, the name because you are going to sleep and you will have probably nightmares. But there is some. There is one. I'm going to write the name you, for you tomorrow. I was about to say, you're not going to say the name, are you? Yeah, okay, but send it, has it, to, send be it to me privately and because I'll have a little not... <laughs> Okay, after coffee. And he, I just tell you that this year he had done surgery. How do you say that? <laughs> yes, surgery, cosmetic surgery. Yeah. Cosmetic surgery and to try to fix what the nature... Oh, no. Did. But did it? 
<laughs> he said, "Yeah, no." I spoke <laughs> with him. He said, "I have never. How do you say? Triumphar. I have never been so successful than now." Triumphed. Uh, oh. All right. <laughs> so maybe. I'll find a positive. I'll find a positive. I was saying to Dave back in the day when we used to vote on hot or not, even the ugly people, I'd say they were hot because I didn't no, want but to see one, feel bad. You can't. If you put hot, if, if you write hot, oh. the, the, the computer Everyone knows won't you're lying. <laughs> so he's basically Shrek, is what you're saying. Hang on. But a very good motorbike rider. He right? was world champion. Oh, there we go. So you can't wow, have everything. That narrows it down. Yeah, that, that really does. No, but as, as soon as soon as you see the photo, you said, "Oh, that guy." <laughs> That's why, but because he was wearing a helmet, I think he never took the helmet off. <laughs> <laughs> Same trick that pilots use. <laughs> That's an expensive paper bag. That's an expensive. Oh, paper look bag. what greater. What greater reason to tune in for the uh, next podcast of the Facino Report because we shall reveal who is under the helmet. <laughs> oh, no. That's Might be it. our last episode ever. There's going to be lawyers' emails. <laughs> Stu, you mentioned that um, if people want to uh, get hold of us and uh, tell us th- their least and uh, and most favourite uh, GP riders uh, for ease on the eye, the gorgeous slices of man meat out there, uh, how do they get hold of us? Yeah, they can uh, jump on uh, Instagram. It's uh, the Pacino Report, Pacino Report, apologies, um, on Instagram. Or they can uh, they can even get directly in touch with uh, with Manuel at, um, at at his website, Pacino GP. That's right. Andrew, how would the uh, with the with the with the uh, invading hordes of fans? I mean, our Instagram numbers have just been climbing through the roof. I've, I've had to put them on. Silence. I've been loving watching it all jump up today. It's fantastic. I'd love a little bit more interaction. Um, I'm married yeah. with three children, so I'm up for pretty much anything. You um, sure you don't want to rephrase that? So my Instagram is there. <laughs> <laughs> Can we delete that? I'll say that again. That's going to be the tagline oh, on the show, isn't it, for this episode? Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is going to be the quote for the episode. Um, but anyway, my Instagram is Andra, A-N-D-R-A, underscore the Pacino Report. So please, if you have any races that you think that I should watch to learn a little bit more, please let me know. Tell me why. I'm I'm getting very excited by all this now, but I can't watch everything at once, so I need recommendations. Manuel, obviously, you know, this podcast has your name on it. Uh, how do people get hold of you to uh, to hear more? Well, basically, they can find me, that me is now us, on pesinogp.com. <laughs> and there is everything. There you can read, there you can listen, there you can watch some uh, YouTube videos. It's a community. Pesinogp.com. Thank you so much again, Manuel. Thank you again, as always. Um, it's been it's been insightful. It's been wonderful. The uh, greatest thing our listeners can do for at this stage of this podcast's journey is to um, obviously go out, tell your friends. Uh, if you're on iTunes, leave us a five star rating. Uh, if you're on any of the uh, other uh, podcast providers, the uh, the, the Googles, um, please please tell your friends at this stage. It's the greatest thing you can do for this podcast. Uh, we love making these for you. It's, uh, 
it's nice to know that it's going out to an audience. We're starting to see, um, I've never spoken to people in uh, the Netherlands before. So uh, <laughs> hello, <laughs> we're starting to see that. So this is a very, very uh, welcome process for us. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for the support we've received so far. One piece of feedback that I will slide in um, was an email that was sent to us to explain that Andrew was uh, their obvious favorite that uh you know it was helping them through their working day uh, manuel you were you were reg- you know they acknowledged you as a master storyteller and they were just finding this fascinating and the other two had nice voices <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah the other, the other two. thanks it's only cuz they can't see your face i'm sure they'd say you've got a nice yeah, face if so... they could see the video <laughs> no they'd, they'd still just say i have a nice voice that's it <laughs> Why not stick to the first lie? Yeah, you may as well. <laughs> love it. Love it. So for that gorgeous listener, uh, thank you for your feedback. I'll try and talk less next time for you. So um, <laughs> on, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll bid you farewell and we'll see you in episode five. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Ciao. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Bye. After hearing you, you should do the coronavirus test. (laughs) (laughs) Because it may start like this, you know. (laughs) I heard alcohol kills it, though, so it's okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'll I'll never get it if that's the case. We don't don't use that word in this house. Alcohol? Oh, yeah, the Rona. Yeah, don't, oh, don't, don't be, corona. Corona. Don't be, caught, don't be talking to the corona. <laughs> no corona.